Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime. And you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to his word proclaimed. God, we come to you this morning. We come open to hear your word. To put all distractions aside. To let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, we're continuing our, our series in Second uh, Timothy, which is one of the pastoral epistles uh, in the New Testament. And you know, when I look at Timothy's life, or, or what we see about Timothy's life, I, I see a lot of similarities of my own. You know, last week we heard about Timothy, uh, Paul extolling, extolling Timothy on his faith that he received from his grandmother and from his mom. And was kind of a call to say that you have been faithful through all of your life to, to what God has, has given you. You know, I, I'm very fortunate, or I call, consider myself very fortunate to have been born, been born through the, going out to church all throughout my life. You know, I was baptized a month after I was born and raised in the church at every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, really any time there was a church activity, I was there. And I received a lot from that. But there was a time in my life where I got kind of frustrated because we would have people come, maybe it was like a youth rally or uh, maybe other some type of revival where we would have a guest speaker come and, and they would give just this amazing testimony about how they were living their life one certain way and this was going bad and that was going bad or they, they weren't following the way that God was telling them and God just came and vroom, just got them. And I was like, man, I've never had an experience like that. So I, I've missed out. I've missed out because I've just been one of those boring church kids all my life and God really hasn't moved a miraculous way for me. But then I look at that and I say, that's foolish. Because I can look from the time I was born to now and see how God has walked with me. So to me, whenever I look at the books of First and Second Timothy, I see this as, as my story of how God continues this faithful call to move us forward so that we can grow in perfect love of God and perfect love of our neighbors. So I invite you to follow along as we continue into 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verses 1 through 9. So hear the word of the Lord. So my child, draw your strength from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Take the things you heard me say in front of many other witnesses and pass them on to faithful people who are also capable of teaching others. 
Accept your share of suffering like a good soldier of Christ. No one who serves in the military gets tied up with civilian matters so that they can please the one who recruited them. Also in the same way, athletes don't win unless they follow the rules. A hardworking farmer should get the first share of the crop. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will give you understanding about everything. Remember Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead and ascended from David. This is my good news. This is the reason I am suffering to the point that I'm in prison, like a common criminal. But God's word cannot be in prison. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, I love that that last sentence. God's Word cannot be imprisoned. No matter the trials, no matter the hardships that we may experience in our lives, whether we're, we're born in the church and we're, we're raised to be faithful throughout all of our lives, or if we've had that, that, uh, that Paul moment, that Damascus moment where, where God just comes and just, just knocks you for a loop, and you come to a saving and living faith in him, the truth is that God's word cannot be imprisoned. That has to do with power. That has to do about the power of God's word. Now, we talked a little bit about power last week. We talked about how we wanted to make sure that we don't get caught up in the power for ourselves. You know, we just look out in the world, we can see that the world is all about trying to get power for themselves in one way or another. But Paul shares with us that the power we receive or the power that we try to gain comes from our weakness. Because it is through our own weaknesses that God's power gives us strength. So, so where is this power? Where, where, where is the strength that we have from God? Well, Paul talks about it at the very beginning of this passage. The power and strength comes from God's grace through Jesus Christ. I love talking about grace. And grace is the best gift that we can share as a church. When we look at how life is and how hard it can be and how we have things that block us from a perfect relationship with our creator, grace steps in. And grace gives us the hope. Grace gives us the love. Grace gives us what we need so that we can fully live out who God is has called us to be. So I thought this would be a great time to preach my one sermon on grace, a sermon that I preach a week and week and week after one another because all of this is about grace. But sometimes we have a hard time identifying and understanding what grace means in our lives. In the church, we like to use some fancy words for grace. We use the word prevenient. 
We use the words justifying. We use the word sanctifying grace. But sometimes we can get lost in the translation of those words. So first, let's start off with pervenient grace. That may be a word if you've done uh, the walk to Emmaus that you've heard. That's one of the main talks that they give during this this adventure that you can take over a weekend, but we really don't fully understand what provenient means. Provenient means that it's a grace that goes before us. It is a grace that that has God calling and wooing us to be in relationship with God. It's a grace that comes to us even before we know who God is. It's the initiation of any relationship with God, and it reveals God as one who pursues us. The Gospel of Luke, there's a story about a tax collector named Zacchaeus who climbs up into a tree just to see God, just to see Jesus at a brief moment. But as Jesus is walking by, he, he reaches up and he invites Zacchaeus to come down to go have a meal with him. And as they're eating together, Jesus hears this grumbling that's happening from the leaders, from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees. And they're saying, why in the world is Jesus having dinner with this sinner, this person who, who robs us, this person who takes our stuff and makes it his own. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus responds that the Son of Man comes to save, to seek, and to save the lost. See, that's what provenient grace is. It's God always looking, always trying to be in relationship with us. See, Zacchaeus could have spent that day just doing his normal routine and walked right by. But God was there available for him so that he could reach out and and be in relationship with God. 1 John 4, 19 reminds us that we love because God first loves us. See, that's what provenient grace allows us to do. It allows us to love in ways that may be be unimaginable to us, but it's because God loved us First, we are able to love our neighbors the way that God calls us to love. So we have this provenient grace, this grace that calls us, it invites a response. It invites a response to be justified in our faith. This justifying grace that calls us to be just as one who has never sinned. See, when we go back all the way to the story of the fall where Adam and Eve and we had the introduction of original sin through their acts, there was a separation there. And the justification happened so that we can be placed in a right relationship with our God. It's about reconciliation. It's about being pardoned. It's about full restoration 
Maybe there's a relationship in your life right now that's, that's fractured. Maybe there's a relationship right now that you're looking for some kind of hope, some kind of reconciliation. See, the word that we have through Christ's work on the cross is that reconciliation is possible. 2 Corinthians 5.19 reminds us that God was reconciling the world through Christ, not by counting people's sin against them, because he has trusted us with the message of reconciliation. One of the things I love about God's grace is that there's no hoops for us to jump through. God's grace is a free gift us. Justification is a free gift that all we have to do is respond to. You may remember last week when we had communion, when uh, Susan was uh, sharing the uh, words of, of pardon after we shared in our, uh, our prayer of confession. She used these words from Romans 5, 8, saying that while we were yet sinners, God showed his love for us. And Christ died for us. See, that's what reconciliation, that's what justification is. That even though we don't have it all together, and my friends, we will never have it all together, God still loves us. God still cares for us and wants us to be in relationship with him. One of my favorite authors is a, author by the name of Brennan Manning who passed away a few years ago. And he said this about justifying grace. He says that justification by grace through faith means that I know myself accepted by God as I am. Genuine self-acceptance is not derived from the power of positive thinking or mind games or, or pop psychology. It's an act of faith in the grace of God alone. A couple weeks ago, I was walking through Barnes and Noble, and there's a great, huge section of books that's full of pop psychology, that's full of self-help books, you know, five steps to make your life better than it was, five steps to build relationships with others. I'm just thankful that's not what we have to do with our God we don't have to deal about five separate steps or we don't have to deal with the latest trend. All we have to do is accept the gift that we have so graciously been given by our creator. Unfortunately, a lot of churches and a lot of places, they stop right there where justification is all you need. But we are meant to grow in our relationship with God. And that's what sanctifying grace is all about. I just can't imagine if, if uh, Tracy and I, we've been married for almost 13 years now, and if we decided to put myself in one room in our house, put Tracy in another room in our house, and we just didn't communicate with each other, what do you think would happen to our relationship? Slowly but surely, we would become two ships just passing in the night. 
not working on our relationship, not trying to, 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 to woo each other, not trying to be a couple. But see, I think that's how it is with God, too. We must actively participate in our relationship with God for it to thrive. We must seek out ways so that we can understand what God is calling us to do. Colossians 3, 9 and 10 says it this way, that we need to take off the old nature with its practices and put on a new nature which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created us. See, sanctification is about taking who we are and and molding ourselves into the likeness of God. Not so that we can win anything from God. God loves us anyway. But so that we can perfectly love God and we can perfectly love our neighbors. So what do we do with this grace? What do we do with this, this great gift that we have so graciously been given? Well, as Paul said, we take it in. We take it in to ourselves so that we can bask in the grace of our God. But then we are called to share that grace with others to share that grace so that they may understand who God is, so that they may grow in that relationship with God. You know, I love Easter. Easter is a day that we celebrate resurrection. But I think sometimes as a church, we fail to live out resurrection every day in our lives. We wait for, I guess, 27 weeks And that's when we celebrate Easter in the middle of April this year. But, you know, we're called to celebrate resurrection every day. We're called to celebrate resurrection because that's what God is doing inside of us. God is taking us and changing us and making us new so that we can reflect his love and grace for others. My hope and my prayer is that as we learn to live in God's grace, as we see that God is all around us, and all we have to do is respond to his justifying grace and then grow, knowing that God will never leave us as we are, but God will take us to where we should be. Let us pray. Oh God, you have blessed us in so many ways. You have given us strong grace. You have done all the hard work. Help us to share the memories that we have of how you have rescued us and have called us to be your disciples. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.